Hello and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki, and you're listening to Talking Tachlis, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. Wow, Rifki. <laughs> what an episode last week, huh? Yeah. Um, honestly, the whole time as we were recording, Uri, I don't know about you, I, I think I had a pit in my stomach almost the entirety of that recording. Yeah. And even still now, I think I might even have remnants of that pit. What, what about you, Uri? Yeah, honestly, I was going to say something very similar. Um, I went in nervous but excited, and I'm still, I'm, I think you are also very happy that we did it. Um, mm-hmm. But after, especially like after the conversation, and then when listening to it again, and then listening again and again, and then yeah. <laughs> talking to, to tons and tons of people this week, which we're going to get to and, and read and play some of our listeners' feedback, which I'm very excited about. I felt very icky. That was like a phrase you used in our conversation last yeah. week. I really did not feel good because, I mean, we'll get into it, but I, I was called some names that I didn't appreciate. And I don't think I'm a racist, but I was called racist a lot and that didn't make me feel good. But like more more importantly, I was trying to think how things could have been done better and how the conversation could have been more productive and not gotten as heated as it did. And I don't know. I don't. I I feel bad that Amr seemed upset. Um, I feel bad if I was if I offended him, which he says that I basically did. Um, so I just I didn't feel great about it. I don't feel as bad now, having spoken to people and thought thought about it and th- realizing that it could have been a lot worse, which is not the best way to to say it. But yeah, I guess that's is kind there of my anything takeaway. thinking about the episode in retrospect? Is there anything you think you would have done differently? Here's the dilemma that I realized we had. We And by the way, yeah. I just want to say to listeners, this is probably already clear, but if you didn't listen to last week's episode, oh, sorry, which yeah. is a conversation with Amer Zar, who is uh, a Palestinian activist, among other things, um, this is not going to be an interesting episode for you. So I would say stop, put the next two hours of your life on hold, listen to that episode, and then come back here. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry, Uri, go uh, ahead. So what was your okay. dilemma? Well, welcome back, everybody, after listening to that uh, <laughs> conversation. Yeah, Glad the, to have you back. The, the, the dilemma was... We were honest. I was honest when I said in the beginning of the conversation that our main goal was really to hear him and to hear his perspective. Mm-hmm. And it was not meant to be a debate. But at the same mm-hmm. time, what I realized was, I realized this as we were having the conversation, to be honest, if all we're going to do is give him softballs or just like tee him up and let him go into his quote unquote talking points, then what's the point of having him on? We can just go to his YouTube page. He releases videos like every couple of weeks. We can hear what he says on his page. I think what made the conversation um, interesting or and especially potentially, but it, and I think it was in a lot of ways, was hearing what he says and how he responds to the Zionist talking points. And so if, I mean, any interesting interview about a complicated subject is only interesting when, when the subject of the interview or the person being interviewed is challenged and pushed. And we were definitely pushed in, the, in a good way, I think, a, a, lot, a lot of ways. And, and I pu- we pushed him. And I don't think he appreciated that so much. But I think it was impossible to, it, it wouldn't have been a productive conversation if, if we didn't have that. So it was like finding the perfect balance and line between like letting him speak, hearing his perspective, giving him space to speak. And I think if you look at the, the, the episode, he did speak for a, a large majority right. of the time. But if we hadn't pushed him at all, I think it would have been a huge missed opportunity just on an inter- a level of just like being interesting, but also productive. So that was the dilemma that I realized we faced. 
Does that mm -hmm. make sense? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, I I I hear the the difficulty there, and I think I, I I empathize and agree with the difficulty that we had. I think in general, you and I almost have uh, we sometimes have different temperaments. We have very different styles. That's another thing I realized. Yeah. We, we definitely it's not even about disagreeing about issues. We have very different styles, which I think also is good. It makes the the podcast yeah. more interesting. I hope. I think. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, and I think, and this is I think uh, of as my failing. I think I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed mm -hmm. by the intensity, and I took a major step back. And I kind of wish I hadn't done that. Mm -hmm. um, um, because I think that, A, I don't think it did the conversation any favors. Like, I think that you and I balance each other out often, I think, in a very good way. And I think it would have been valuable for me to kind of be able to be a little bit more in the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and B, I think because sometimes things, and I used this term last week also, but I think sometimes things got a little bit derailed. And I wonder what Amir would, would say about this. And, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, now he's going to be a weekly listener. Um, but I think at the time, I felt very strongly that it was kind of almost like equal opportunity at fault here. Like I thought it was derailed by Uri. It was derailed by Amir. It was derailed uh, maybe a little bit less by me because I was being pretty quiet, too quiet. Um, but in listening to the episode, I, I think I'm wrong about that. I think not... Not I think. I think that maybe in the beginning, I do think that there was like almost a, a level of intensity coming from both of your directions. And then I felt like you almost like backed down. You're like, okay, this guy's getting pretty pissed. Let's like almost, and, and tell me if you, you disagree with this. Mm -hmm. It felt like you almost like kind of regrouped and were like, maybe you were also like pissed and then therefore didn't, didn't want to engage in the same way. Um, but I felt like you were kind of opening up the space and he was getting kind of more and more heated in a way that I think didn't do the conversation as much as, and it's not even like who's right and who's wrong. I think it didn't do good things for the conversation that way. And I think that's also, that's where I, I could have almost kind of shifted the, the tone and the conversation mm -hmm. to a little bit of a different place. So I think that was really my fail. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I think I partially um, agree with what you just said in terms of your assessment of how things went down. Um, listen, I... It was our home turf, and this is what we do yeah. every week. It's I'm sure he's had debates of some sort in the past, but it's not really his regular thing that he does. And I don't... I, I kept saying this last week, and I, I really do think he's a cool guy. I, I think he's very smart, and I think he's interesting, and I think he's talented, and I would gladly be friends with him. I, th I don't know if that sounds weird, but um, <laughs> I don't blame him for getting upset. Obviously, this is something that's very emotional and personal for him, right. but at the same time, um, yes, I did shut down or take a step back at a certain point when he just kept calling me names and he said yeah. he, he dismissed everything I said as racist. He said everything I was saying was just talking points that he heard, he's heard a million times as if yeah. what he's saying was not talking points. Like that's just not a, it's not nice. It's condescending. It's rude. Like when he said, he said more than once, he's at least twice. He said, I don't know if you know how racist and bigoted what you're saying is, but just it is. So maybe you don't mean it, but just know that it is. So it's condescending and name calling like at the same time. And so again, I, I understand what, where it was coming from. I understand he was frustrated. Maybe he felt ganged up because there's two of us and it's our show and whatever. Um, I, I think he was being sincere. I think he was being very real. And he was talking about, especially then, people actually said that they appreciated um, that we left in the part. Like we said goodbye, we thanked him. And then there was another half hour. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he even said yeah. like, you know, <laughs> you don't have to include this on the show, but, and then we went on for another half hour. And basically the way somebody who spoke to me um, understood it. And I was like, that was very interesting. 
he was basically just having a conversation with us. That wasn't even for the show, which shows that yeah. he was, it was very heartfelt and, and real yeah. for him. He wasn't doing this for an audience. Yeah. And I and, and understand also, you that. Know, listeners, listeners don't you know, know what, what happens at the same time. We are we are both on Zoom, you and I, Uri, and the guests that we've had since the pandemic started, the guests have all been on Zoom. We haven't been doing them in person. We haven't seen each other, Uri, in person in, yeah. in a very, very long time, which is, you know, weird and sad for mm-hmm. us. But but we could see Amer on Zoom as we were recording, and he he was upset, you know? And I, I, I under, I, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, he, he was not having a good time. He really, he was, he was, and like, I feel it's like, as you know, I think we're all like people pleasers to a certain extent. I felt really, that was part of, I think my awkwardness and like my pain. I'm sort of like, oh, I'm shoot. Like he's mad at me. And like, that's like a crappy feeling, you know, like, even though obviously there's also like fundamental disagreements or fundamental agreements or pushing each other on issues, blah, 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 all those things. But also I'm like, well, I don't want you to be mad at me. Right. I mean, I had some of that also. I guess it was mostly my fault. But yeah, that's I felt that's what I felt icky about. But, you know, I I think we should there's a lot more that we can talk about. And there's some specific things that I want to go through from the conversation. But I think it would be interesting and fun um, to we got, I think, definitely more feedback on this episode just in a few days than we have on any other episode in the past. And we've gotten lots of feedback in the past, but we were really it was a deluge and we could spend an entire episode easily, maybe two episodes, literally just reading the stuff that we got and playing the the audio clips that we got um, from people. But um, we wanted to to share some of those with our listeners and give shout outs. We're not going to, we decided not to say people's names because um, various reasons. Some people asked not to use their names and also because we're editing these down just for length purposes. And mm-hmm. so it's not really giving over the full um, thought that the person was saying. So therefore, Hamevin um, Yavin, maybe, the, who, those who understand will understand <laughs> and know who we're referring to. But we're just going to, um, we can also alternate um, reading and, and playing some clips. So uh, Rifki, do you want to start things off? Okay, perfect. So the first piece of feedback I want to share is, let's say it's from someone named Josh. Okay. <laughs> we Hi, don't Josh. have to make up names, just whatever. Okay. <laughs> so Josh, uh, this, is, this is kind of a long one, but uh, we're, we're cutting out some pieces just for the sake of time. This is what Josh said. I thought Amer's point came out loud and clear. People who trace their ancestry to the land of Israel-Palestine deserve the right to return. And to deny them that out of fear is not fair to them. And I think he rightly got frustrated and angry when confronted with what about style questions about past political decisions, because as he kept repeating, this has no bearing on the right of the people. And this is the part I want to focus on. It's possible to believe in the right of Palestinian Arabs to return to their homeland and at the same time not support the specific policy or solution proposed by the other side. Amer makes strong points around morality, but seems unconcerned with the complexity of policy and implementation. So, Uri, what do you think about that argument? What do you think about that point? I mean, I have great respect for the person who gave us this feedback, and he's, this person is a big friend of the show, and, and I love him. He's great. But I I have a problem with it. I I mean, the accusation about, um, you know, the what about style questions being irrelevant, let's say, uh, I, I don't think that's true or fair. As Amr did repeatedly throughout the argument, I, I don't agree with his comparisons either. But like the way you understand things is by comparing it to other things. So you could you can argue that the comparison is not a good comparison and tell me why. But just comp- saying that it's racist or it's irrelevant to compare this to other things, I think is ridiculous. And same 
thing with um, past mistakes or past deals. You know, like Amer said, accused me. He said, "You are obsessed with details and deals." Like that was a backhanded compliment. He's telling me I have attention to detail. I I appreciate that. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. Why Why is caring about details a bad thing? I, I was like, I'm very. I still don't understand that. But yeah, if Arafat had the chance to have a Palestinian state and he rejected it without a counteroffer, I don't really understand why that's irrelevant. But most importantly, this really gets to Amir's fundamental argument, which this um, listener was bringing up. And um, that's uh, truthfully what I wanted Rifki, you and I to to get into. We could do it now. I was going to do it after we hear more, some a little bit more feedback. But basically, that I think Amir's fundamental argument came down to it is a human right, is a basic human right to for the Palestinians to be able to live in their ancestral homeland or for him to be able to live in his grandparents' house or whatever. And nothing else matters. No amount of behavior or misbehavior by the Palestinians matters. Totally irrelevant. Right. He even said himself, I mean, I could play the clip, or you can go back and listen. He said, even if there were stabbings and, and bombings every single day, it would be irrelevant. The refugees from 1948, and at this point, it's really their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren, no matter where they are in the world, no matter what their circumstances are, they are entitled to their houses and their property from 1948, and Amer is calling that a basic human right. That is, I mean, I don't know what world that holds true in, but does any would any reasonable person or any country in history ever have accepted those those terms to uh, how things work in the world? So, Uriah, I hear what you're saying. And I think the analogy that he brought was interesting, right? The analogy that Amr brought was, and I'm not actually sure if it was in this particular piece, but um, about black slaves and their rights, right? And he was basically saying, look, if they were just walking around killing white people, that doesn't mean that you're allowed to keep them enslaved, right? And as I think you said, and I think rightly, like, yeah, but that analogy, yes, that is true, but that is a false analogy, right? And of course, analogies are never perfect, but actually, this is really not an aligned analogy. Um, But I I think the, the, the fundamental point that I think that this listener brought feels really important. Mm-hmm. It feels like there really were almost two simultaneous conversations. And I think this was maybe part of our breakdown and part of where I think we went wrong by maybe not even voicing this or maybe not even, maybe it was like, you know, too subconscious to even voice at the time. But it felt like there were really two conversations. I feel like the conversation that you and I were having, like when you brought up the partition plan and Palestinians or Arabs in general, you know, whatever, Palestinians, whatever, rejecting the partition plan. And when I brought up, like, what does it look like if, is there a Palestinian partner for peace? Like, things mm-hmm. like that. Like, they were more like, they were kind of practical kind of questions, right. either about history or about the present day, but they were about policy solutions. They were about what it looks like. And Amr wasn't interested in having that conversation. He was interested in talking about what is a moral way to be. And I really actually, that resonates with me because I think I think about things often in that way also, which is something that you yeah. and I sometimes clash at because, right. you you know, like I sometimes kind of live in that world also. Yeah. But I think this has to be a yes and. We have to be able to have both sides of these conversations. We have to be able to talk about policy. We have to be able to talk about history. We have to be able to, we have to, be able to talk about facts on the ground. And we have to be able to talk about what a moral system looks like. Right. Well, can I tell you a distinction that I came up with? And you can tell me what you think. Um, I was thinking about this all week, about morality and human rights and human dignity, mm-hmm. which he kept bringing up. And that what was a week! He, that was what he was... Well, I think about those things on other weeks also. But <laughs> that was what he kept pushing you on at the end when I sort of took mm-hmm. a step back. And then he was grilling yeah. you like, 
are you tell me are you racist or are you not racist are you moral or are you immoral yeah. do you want my you know to return to our houses i think i agree with him in a certain way i think when it comes to basic human rights and human dignity and obviously that's a question what are the basic human rights but like mm-hmm. let's say let's say um just talking about this topic the idf is going after a terrorist or whatever or they find a terrorist who they know just killed a bunch of jews and israelis whatever there are still human rights and human dignity that that terrorist is entitled to. You can't humiliate a person and a person's human, basic humanity, no matter what they've done, no matter who they are. That's what I believe. What are, so I don't think getting to live in your grandparents' house is a basic human right. That's the difference. So if Amr wanted to talk about how the IDF, let's say, treats Palestinians at checkpoints or when they're doing a raid on a house that they think contains a terrorist, not whether or not those checkpoints and raids should take place, but how the human beings are treated. Are they treated with basic dignity, with the basic, basic human rights that everybody in the world is entitled to no matter who they are, no matter what they've done? I'm open to that conversation. It's a difficult conversation, but that, I think, is very real and very important. However, that is not the same as saying it is my basic human right, no matter how I behave, no matter how the Palestinians behave, it's their basic human right to be able to return to Israel, no matter how many bombings and stabbings, to get their grandparents' house. No, I'm sorry. No, that's not a basic human right. so, So just to understand what you're saying, you believe you believe in a general right to property, right? If I bought something, if I own something, I do have the right to that property. But there are a, there's the element of, well, it's not mine. It's maybe an inheritance, but it's not actually something that I purchased. Is that is that an element to it for you? Well, sometimes, in, yeah. I mean, uh, sometimes individuals suffer and are wronged because of uh, the actions of the greater collective. That's the reality of the world. So, it's- so but if he's making the argument that morally I should be entitled to this thing, you're saying that well, if you just want to talk about the moral claim, then I would say, yes, he has a moral claim on that property. And Israel has a moral claim of self-defense and staying alive. Those are conflicting moral claims. I don't know. Like, I'm th- I-, I hear what you're saying. I'm just thinking of a, a-, a counterfactual. Like, let's say this t- completely false story. And then we should move on to another piece yeah, of feedback. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Because we don't want to get too stuck here. But I'm thinking of, like, let's say, you know, post the Holocaust. Let's say I had a bunch of, let's say... Uh, Let's say I had a house in Poland that I lost because I was, you know, whatever. My, my family lost this house. We had artwork all, you know, taken from us, whatever. Mm-hmm. And let's say at the same time, Israel, which is kind of, you know, representative of all Jews in a certain way, or just maybe Jews in general, were arbitrarily taking Germans and torturing them and murdering them. Would I not be entitled to my house anymore? Would I not be entitled to the artwork of my family anymore? I don't know. Something about that feels like not... Right. Like, yes, I understand why that would make my case a little less sympathetic. I can understand why in general it's, it's been several generations. Like, there, there are arguments to be made, but the fundamental moral right of me to the thing that I should be inheriting, I don't know. I, I'm not sure about I, that. Yeah, I don't totally see the analogy you're making. But what I will say of what you about what you just said is that I think when looking at the Jewish people, um, Ashkenazi Jews moving on from the Holocaust and Mizrahi Jews moving on from their exile and persecution from from the Arab lands that they were in sometimes for many, many centuries, if not millennia. The secret, I guess you could say, to the success of the Jewish people in the last 
50, 100 years is being able to move on and move forward. And you're talking I, I about claims to our houses in Germany. I mean, literally, I mean, my family, I'm sure your family also, literally a house, my great-grandfather who was living in America was paying taxes on his very nice house in Poland that, and continuing to pay taxes every year. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't his anymore. You know, and we never got it, whatever. Like, we moved on. And that doesn't mean we're not entitled to it on some I, level. I, but I, like, I'm totally agreeing with you, but that doesn't mean that you don't, morally have the right to it like yes i agree that it is good for a person to well, that not gets, right. get stuck well, there that and that's a different conversation mm-hmm. about refugee status in general and like so rifke i just want to ask you very quickly like amir talked about the phrase no justice no peace and how that's chanted mm-hmm. and he's sort of like assumed he's like maybe you've said this yourself like in black lives matter rallies and stuff um i've actually always been uncomfortable with that phrase i'm curious what how you feel about that phrase no justice no peace his point was that justice comes before peace and peace is irrelevant because justice is first the justice is we have to get our land back and peace has nothing to do with it we can talk about peace later but first give us our land but not about the land specifically i'm asking you that phrase in general i think it's a fair question i was actually uncomfortable probably for for different reasons than you when he said that no just no peace first of all I don't want to get stuck on semantics here, but when people use the term justice, I think often they mean different things. I often associate justice, I think reasonably, with the criminal justice system. And I'm like, mm. I don't know that I, <laughs> I, I'm i pretty leftist when it comes to a lot right. of the I don't think that's what he system. meant. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I know it's probably not what he meant, but the idea of no justice, no peace, I'm like, no, peace. Like, yeah. we talk all the time about preconditions, no preconditions. I'm like, why no justice, no peace? Like, let's all just sit down and talk. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. So uh, to a certain extent, I, I don't you agree know that you're how uncomfortable that with like, that phrase so, in some way also. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm guessing that we're, we're, we come from different places there, but this idea of no just no peace, like I, I'm, it's not something that I feels like a, a no brainer to me. Right. And I also, what are your thoughts? Ari? Yeah. I just bring that up because I don't think I was articulating the, the human rights thing as well as I think I should have or could have. But my point is that like, he was oversimplifying everything. And, and he kept saying, he says it in his videos and he said it with us, like, this is all very simple, but it's not simple. It's really not. Most things aren't, and especially not this. And my point is that there's there's conflicting values and there's conflicting moralities. Justice and peace, those sometimes conflict with each other and they're both very, very important. And so to oversimplify and say, like, this justice that I'm calling human rights and justice in my case trumps and supersedes everything else I think is just, uh, that's not how things work. And that's not how morality and justice really work. Yeah. I don't know. I think part of it feels like, I, I feel like I got tripped up. And I think part of this conversation is a little bit tripped up on the definition of justice. Um, well, everything like is have, tripped up on semantics and definitions. But right, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. But like, I'm thinking about like, uh, restorative justice, right? This mm-hmm. this idea, I think we've actually talked about restorative justice before on the podcast. And there's a lot, we could, you know, Desmond Tutu died recently. We, we talk about restorative justice in South Africa and Desmond Tutu. But like, I think restorative justice is this idea of kind of elevating an understanding and, you know, maybe peace even or acceptance over um, punishment and vengeance, which is mm-hmm. often, I think, the way we we associate what justice is. So, you know, it's, it's reframing or looking at a different vision for what justice could be. Right. And I think that sometimes I think that Israel, you know, we don't we don't like using the apartheid word and we don't like comparing Israel to South Africa. Right. Um, or when I say we, I don't want to say the entirety, but I don't like comparing Israel to South Africa. And I don't think that apartheid is a good analogy. However, I think this idea of restorative justice from South Africa could actually be a really useful model because it's saying, mm. let's not get tri- tripped up on you did X, you did Y, but you're worse, but I'm worse, but I'm this, whatever. I think coming to the table and saying, okay, how can we move forward together, I think is a really critical model. So yes, justice, restorative justice. 
But okay, or, uh, I'm sorry. We're, that's a that's a yeah. problem. It's so easy to get bogged okay, down. Let's move there's on. So let's much move here. On. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or you want to do you want to play a clip for yes. us so we can discuss? Let's do it. I also think that there's something extremely disingenuous about um, the fact that he calls Lebanon and Tunisia democracies. Okay, that's cool. And Iran. LOL, dude. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I think that there's also, as a Mizrahi person, I find that extremely problematic that he speaks over the experience of actual Mizrahim who had their uh, homes, lives, limbs, money, property, assets taken and seized from them. He doesn't seem to think that matters. No, it's fine. It wasn't Europe. It's fine. He also seems to gloss right over all of the attacks and terrorism that happened well before 1948. Very problematic. Yeah, there's so much to say there. Um, I I don't know. Or or what are your thoughts? Well, I think the clip speaks for itself. I was very appreciative to get that feedback from, first of all, a good friend of the show, but also a Mizrahi Jew, as she calls herself, or a Jew of Middle Eastern descent. And Amr really did gloss over or try to minimize the extent to which Jews were persecuted in Arab lands. And to not fully bring that reality into the conversation, I think, is just very dishonest. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, yes. And in some ways, I feel like there are like points I want to like push the conversation forward. But I also want to make sure that we, we are able to 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 play some other other listeners as well. So okay. I don't want to get too stuck there. So this is from another listener. A lot of things were upsetting about this episode. By the way, common theme, people were we weren't the only ones stressed out. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were stressed out. A lot of things were upsetting about this episode. And I've been really thinking about what got to me the most. I think it was the complete denial and dismissal of the way Jews have been treated all over the world for millennia, which is what drives our desire for self-determination, not racism like you repeatedly suggest. Is there racism in Israel? Of course, just like there is everywhere. Is that the motivation for the existence of the state and its policies? Zionism was not founded on, hey, there are a bunch of Arabs in Palestine and we don't like them because of their skin color or how they look, so let's kick them out and oppress them. To ignore the history of anti-Semitism and the very real security threats that Israel faces and has faced from its neighbors and from terrorism is just gaslighting. So, Uri, what what do you think about that? Yeah, I think well said. I don't really have much to add, truthfully. Yeah, it actually reminds me of um, a different listener. I don't even know if we're going to be able to to play his piece on the show, but a different listener, a conversation that we once had with him. Uri, I don't even know if you remember this. We once had this conversation with him years ago when we were talking about the security wall, and he actually doesn't believe at all in the security wall. And it's interesting because this is someone who, he he lives in Israel, he's Jewish, he, it, to him, and it was almost like similar to, to Amer in the like, kind of like thinking about this almost from a philosophical place and not from a practical place like he doesn't he's saying like the security concerns like okay the security maybe maybe but it's wrong it's wrong to have this fence it's wrong to have this wall whatever you want to call it and therefore we shouldn't have it which is like similar to what this listener is saying is sort of like or not similar, I guess the opposite of what this listener is saying is like saying something like that is is ignoring the reality that Mm -hmm. there is a clear and present danger and we just have to be real about that Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the danger thing came up multiple times in our conversation. Amr was just completely dismissive of it. And I don't think he consciously wants Jews to get hurt. I really don't. I don't think he's an anti-Semite and I don't think he wants that. But I just think it's not his priority that the Jews are safe. It's not what he's focused on. Yeah. 
Well, I, I mean, I mean, to, to also be fair to him, what he is, I think, maybe hoping and maybe naively, because I think that the world is complicated. He's saying, you look, you're taking the experience of, yes, there is has been millennia of anti-Semitism. And you're saying the, you're talking about the experience of Christians and yes, of Muslims and all these other people, whatever. But that wasn't us. And if you give us a chance, we won't do that. Well, the, and I right. think Jews are saying, I'm not letting that happen. The problem is, even if you just look at the Palestinians, there's plenty of violence and terror, especially as as listeners said, I don't remember if we even played that part of the clip, but as I said also last week, plenty of attacks before the state. There yeah. are many to, to choose from. I'll just tell you one I have a personal connection to very quickly. 1929, there was a massacre in Hebron, Hebron. I think mm-hmm. 67 pe- Jews were murdered and, and many, many more um, seriously injured. I have two relatives in, from completely different branches of the family who had nothing to do each other, with each other then. One was, le- two, they were both learning in the Hebron Yeshiva at that time. And by the way, Hebron, um, similar to Jerusalem, um, had a continuous and historic Jewish community for centuries um, before the state. So now it's one of the most contentious settlements that people say of like invading and settling and whatever, but the Jews were there for centuries, at least, um, obviously in biblical times also. But um, so one one relative was learning the Shiva happened to not be there that day or that weekend when, mm-hmm. when it happened. And another one actually was murdered. Um, he was from an American, wow. American kid from Chicago, um, murdered in 1929. So to say that, that the violence started in 1948 is, is wow. obviously completely false. Right. I mean, I don't think he's saying that the violence started in 48. I know he didn't I think literally that say that, but he... Whatever. No, no, I mean, meaning to, to be fair to him, like, I think his argument is not that that's justified. Of course not. I, I don't want to say of course not. He w- I'm I don't sure he wouldn't. At all. Yeah, his okay. argument. I think his argument is Zionism is the cause of that. Well... If it weren't for Zionism, like, you know, why did they attack him in 29? Because of Zionism. I think that's that's the claim he's making. I think our claim would be, whether or not that's true, it doesn't make it justified, but I think... That, that also seems, when we co- talk about the fundamental disagreements, I think, that, that exist or that we were having in that conversation and speaking past each other, I think that it, it felt to me often like Amir was, was almost presenting as if, if without Zionism, there would be no issues. Well, and I think yeah. that we don't think that's true. Well, yes, I agree that that's what he was saying. He also said that the 850,000 Jewish refugees from Arab lands, while he definitely condemned what happened to them, he basically said that if it wasn't for the creation of the state of Israel, those Jews would have been fine, which is very problematic. But going to Israel-Palestine itself, I want to play a listener clip that relates exactly to that point, and he makes a very important distinction between the Palestinian refugees and the acquisition of all this land by the Jews in 1948 versus the completely legal, by all definitions, purchasing of land that Jews did before 1948. I know at one point you kind of started bringing up like 1948, like them was rejecting the peace plan. Rifki kind of cut you off and never really fully got back to that. But I think that's like just to walk that through with him. He, he keeps talking about and I know a lot of Palestinians would ever talk about ethnic cleansing and being kicked out of their homes. And like before 48, it's not like Jews were coming in and just like riot, like shooting people out of their homes, like willy nilly. This wasn't like some crazy wild west where you just come in with weapons and just kick everyone out of your homes. Obviously, they're buying land. I mean, that's pretty agreed upon. It was, you know, ruled by the British. This wasn't like the British are pretty legit rulers. It's not like a crazy, uh, you know, lawless society. So before 48, it's pretty clear they were buying land fair and square. And then... In 48, there were now a significant portion of Jews and more wanting to come. And the UN decided for multiple reasons to, you know, make the partition. And as we know, the Jews accepted and the Arabs didn't. 
And when they didn't, they all went to war and they kind of were rolling the dice to try to get it all. And when Israel won in defensive war, even more so, and they won more land, and some were kicked out by Jews during a defensive war, and that's just how every war has worked in history. Unfortunately, it's not fair to individuals who may have lost their homes, but that's just how war works, unfortunately, that they started and they lost. So I would have liked to hear what he would have responded to that. So I, I can imagine what I think he would respond to that, Uri, and tell me if you agree, disagree. He would say you know, it doesn't matter. See differently. Yeah. No, I think he would say, I, I, you are right. And the Palestinians are the, the nebuchs of the nebuch. And maybe he wouldn't use the word nebuch. But I think, didn't he say this, right? He said the, the, the victims of the victims or something like that. The Palestinians didn't start that war. The Palestinians didn't start any of these wars. What, the Palestinians, what he would say, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's uh-huh, what I'm saying. Right. I'm saying like, you know, the Palestinians were victims of being told by Jordan and Syria and Lebanon, whatever, like, just just shut up, move out of the way, we got this. And then when the when all of those countries lost, the Palestinians doubly lost. I don't know if he I would say that. I think that's what he would say. I, I, don't, I think he would want to blame mm-hmm. Israel. I don't think he would want to blame the Arab countries. I could be wrong. Oh, it's not one or the other. I think <laughs> there's plenty of blame to go around. I'm just saying I think he would focus on Israel. And he, uh-huh. a, a, he would okay. focus on his own, but he would also say that it's irrelevant, as he kept saying that all yeah, the, the past things too. are irrelevant. All that matters is that I deserve my basic human rights. That's, you know, and that human right includes living in my grandparents' house. Right. Um, all right. So let, let's play another clip. Yeah. Itai Flesher here from Kids for Peace Jerusalem. Big fan of your podcast, and it was great to hear the most recent episode with Amel Zal. Something that um, really struck me. Uh, from the conversation, in addition to uh, Rifki occasionally using Hebrew words like uh, makabel and ke'ilu, <laughs> um, was that uh, Uri and Amel were, in a way, giving each other history lessons. And it wasn't so much a dialogue as much as kind of like a Twitter conversation that became animated with real people and went into real depth and, you know, had inappropriate historical analogies and... I don't know how much was was gained by it for people that don't already know that history, but it was interesting to hear it side by side. But it also reminded me of a quote that we came across actually at Kids for Peace when I took a group to Belfast. Um, We were learning about the conflict in in Northern Ireland that had raged, you know, since the Norman invasion 800 years ago between Catholics and Protestants. And we saw written on the wall of a pub a quote that said, a person who has one eye on the past is wise. A person that has two eyes on the past is blind. To continue that conversation from, from that point where the focus is on the future rather than the past, I think would be fascinating. And Nishar Koch for, for starting it and for providing a space for that on uh, Talking Tachlis. That's Lacha. I think, I mean, I, that's a very nice idea, Itai. He's the only one I were playing his name because he actually does this for a living. Um, mm-hmm. he, he lives in Jerusalem and he runs programs where kids, Palestinian kids, Jewish kids have dialogues and meet each other and talk to each other and they do this every week. And so he obviously has a lot of experience with this. I like the idea of what he's saying. He's, he's a very, very idealistic person, Itai, and mm-hmm. I love that about him. But I don't know if that would even work because Amir would say... I am talking about the future. I'm talking about the future that the Palestinians need to return to their homes. That's the future. They haven't done it yet. So in the future, they need to return. You know what I mean? So I don't know how Amir's argument would have been any different if it would have been like, let's forget about the past. We're only talking about the future. 
I don't disagree. I mean, it did feel to a certain extent like Amer too did not want to be talking about the past. Like, I mean, yes, there was he was talking about the, the the connection between him and his family, but he and the land of Israel, obviously, or sorry, I don't want to say land of Israel, and, and the, the the general land uh, that he feels like is you know his the historic connection to this land, but he didn't want to talk about the specifics of the past. I think I, I agree with you that I think there was a, a forward thinking, but I think where it becomes an issue, and Israelis actually complain about this often, that often when there's these conversations, there's these debates about like what is Zionism, who is Zion, do you affiliate with that? Like they don't things like that. They're like we're here, we have a country, we live right. here. Like hello, like those debates about like these issues and these ideas, which are, I think both you and I are engage in and enjoy, and all of those things. Like those debates sometimes feel like they're almost like a little silly because like there are real people who go to work in the morning and they have their jobs at their offices and then they pick up their kids from preschool and then they go to the grocery store like there are people who live there and live this life so having a discussion about zionism feels like you don't understand what's going on anymore. Right. A debate about Zion- saying like, oh, I'm not a Zionist. I don't believe it. There's a state. There's a Jewish well, state. Well, now what? Right. I mean, 100%. Two things. One is that I think Amr would just say to that, um, that's fine. All the Jews can stay and they'll be safe and they will and they can go to the Kotel and they can live wherever they want. But Palestinians can also go wherever they want and live wherever they want. So that, you know, his response to that would be very simple. So it's not, if somebody says we have to dismantle the Jewish state and get rid of all the Jews or whatever, yes, the answer to that is there's 7 million Jews there and, you know, what, what are you actually saying? But Amr is not saying that. So I think it's more complicated. But actually, I think that argument also goes in the reverse direction, which I was trying to say last week, which is that, like, even if the Palestinian people didn't exist until the 1960s. Even if they don't have a historic claim to the land, which I'm not saying those things, but like even if that were true, they are there. There, they, you know, there's millions of of people yeah. there that call themselves Palestinians and they identify as a nation right now, regardless of what they were in the past. Right, and that's a reality that needs to be reckoned with. I acknowledge right, that, and 100%. it's a similar type of argument that goes that can be used yeah. in both directions. So, Rifki, we're, we're starting to wind down, and there's a lot more feedback that we, we don't have time to, to read and play. But mm-hmm. there was one small thing that, that came up that I just felt the need to, to bring up very, very quickly, which is that, you know, we were talking about Jesus, and we didn't, in this episode, even get into the whole Jesus thing that some people said we focused on that too much. And the reason why we spent a lot of time on that was because that was the whole reason we got Amer in the first place, like, because of his tweet about Jesus. And it was Christmas time and whatever, not that we have to acknowledge Christmas. But anyway. Um, oh, my he, God. Merry Christmas. Sorry. Yeah, yes, you <laughs> too. Uh, Merry Palestinian <laughs> Christmas. So. Um, he's, so Amer, you know, when we were talking about Jesus being Palestinian and Amer's like, well, he didn't actually call himself Palestinian, but, but like maybe he did. And he lived in a place called Palestine. And he's like, you know, some, the Zionist movement is, uh, as a political movement is only like, you know, a hundred and something years old. But some mm-hmm. people say King David was a Zionist, like as if that was like such an insane thing to say. Um, and then I jokingly said like, well, maybe he was, maybe he did call himself a Zionist. We don't know. Cause I was just making fun of the fact that he said maybe Jesus called himself Palestinian. But then, uh, actually pointed out by friend of the show, Nechama, um, made an like, amazing point that I was like, oh my God, how did I not think of that? It's like Tehillim, the book of Psalms in the Bible, yeah. which tradition tells us was written by King David, has Zion all over the place. I mean, obviously Jerusalem and Israel is all over the Bible um, in different forms, but Zion, Zion specifically, every single, you know, on... on like on ha- Arobavel. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Two, the two things that we yeah. say after we eat, um, meals, we eat bread. So the one, the more famous one is like on Shabbat and holidays, Shir Hamalot Beshuv Hashem et Shivat Zion Hayinu Kecholmim. When Hashem will return the captivity of Zion, we will be like dreamers. Like if you're going to go back and stick a verse into the Bible to make 
make it look like King David was a Zionist, I don't know what you would say more than that. And al-Narobavil is the thing that many people say, also from Psalms, um, after eating during the week and Shabbos afternoon, whatever. The first line of that one is, al-Narobavil sham yashavnu gambachinu b'zachinu etzion. By the rivers of Babylon, mm-hmm. there we sat and also wept when we remembered Zion. And that's like a famous gospel song also, by the rivers of Babylon. I mean, the truth is, I think it might actually be because of verses like that, that the founders of the modern political movement of Zionism chose the name Zionism for their movement. I'm not positive about that. I tried to look into it and couldn't find a good answer. But if somebody knows or has a source, I would love to see it. But anyway, obviously, King David was a right. Zionist. No, I think that's fair. And I think that that's another thing that we, we didn't have... We didn't discuss with him, but the idea, he was talking about a very specific type of Zionism. He was talking about, you know, modern political political Because he was trying to obviously turn it into that narrow, modern focus. Right. Which is definitely not the way that, you know, us growing up in uh, kind of like our background, you know, we we are taught that the modern state of Israel is exactly that. It's the modern state of Israel. Sure. You know, this is when, you know, there are certain UN treaties, blah, 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 blah. But like Israel as the focal point for the Jewish people has been around way, way longer than the right. modern political oh, Zionism. Of course. Yeah. So uh, the the one thing, Uri, that, I, and I want to, I'm combining two pieces of feedback and I think we're, we're almost wrapping up here, but there were two pieces, there were two things that I think were, were kind of interesting. Uh, one listener sent, uh, sent some really interesting feedback, but I just want to read one line that he said, you don't feel hopeful for the future after listening. That's for sure. Like he listened to this and he felt like, dang, you know, mm-hmm. like I got, you know, it's like kind of a crappy feeling. And this is from a different listener. My hope for Israel-Palestine has just doubled from about 1% to 2%. <laughs> Obviously, these people are sharing, well, in some ways they're sharing very divergent opinions. But I like one that you juxtaposed saying, those. I, I really like yeah, the way you oh, did thank that. You. <laughs> uh, one is saying like, wow, I feel really crappy about looking towards the future and potential peace. And the other is saying like, wow, I feel like I have a lot more hope. Now, the more hope is still going from 1% to 2%. But I don't know, or what, what do you think about that? And how did you feel about this question? You know, do you feel after talking to Amir, more hopeful, less hopeful? Well, I don't think I can really say that I was more hopeful afterwards. I was disappointed, though not surprised, that even a secular, intelligent, Western-raised, seemingly nice guy like Amir can't accept a Jewish state in any borders. If he can't accept the Jewish state, how can we expect the Palestinian leadership or Palestinians actually living in the West Bank and Gaza to ever accept the Jewish state? But the truth is, it was pointed out by a number of listeners that the three of us are all living in America, and our mentality is actually very different. And paradoxically, maybe, when it comes to the actual Israelis and Palestinians living there, they might actually be more in touch with the realities of the other side and the facts on the ground and maybe more open to dialogue and understanding than we might be. It's possible. But either way, I think having a dialogue, having a conversation, getting to know a person can never be a bad thing. And I agree with what a lot of our listeners said, which is that even if they don't agree with one single thing that Amir said, they're really glad that we had that conversation. They're really glad that he agreed to speak to us. And I think just hearing how passionate Amir is, how this is so deeply rooted, so traumatic and so raw for him, that's very important also to hear and to understand. It's funny, I, I remember the first time I saw um, written or said by, by a Palestinian or Palestinian sympathizer, I don't remember exactly what it was, that the media and the New York Times specifically are in Israel's pocket and are just always pro-Israel and never tell our side and so biased. 
I like took a step back. I'm like, wow, that's so interesting. They say the same thing about the same paper、yeah. that we say from the exact opposite <laughs> side. And regardless of the facts or who's right, it's irrelevant to what I'm saying right now. Is like that was just interesting and enlightening to see and hear. I really, I think that's a really interesting perspective, Ari. And I, I, I think I hear everything that you're saying.、Um, ultimately, I do think that I, and maybe this is a personality thing. I think I do feel more hopeful. I think after after having that conversation with Amr, even though I think he was pretty upset, and even though I think you and I were kind of upset also, like I think that there is a really deep pain in these conversations, and yet, you know, I think there's what to work with. I think, look, at the end of the day, Amr is looking for something very different than what. You might be looking for, and then what I might be looking for. Honestly, I don't even know, freaking know what I'm looking for.、Uh, every day it changes. <laughs>、okay. But in regards to this issue is... or in general in life. Oh my god, where do we start? <laughs> oh、okay. my god.、Um, but I think like Amir, like look, like he has his ideals. He has very, very, very big ideals. But also mentioned in passing a couple other things. Like he kept talking about the right of return, right of return, right of return. But he also mentioned very briefly, very quickly. Oh, and you know what? And and. I don't exactly remember the language he used, but something like oh, and not even offering you know、uh, some sort of like reparations or something、mm-hmm. like that. But I don't think he used the term reparations, but like that, I like in the back of my mind, yeah, something like that. Like sees that very quickly. Like okay, wait, we can work with that, you know, or like same、right. thing with like he was like one state, one state, binational, secular, one state, one state, and then he's like, look, maybe it'll end up being two states. I'm like okay, wait, oh, hold on, now <laughs>、yeah. we can talk. He like I felt like. Look, like he has ideals. I have ideals. You have ideals. Like we all come from different places, but it does feel like as long as we can like respect each other and get in a room together, and maybe sometimes we'll respect each other more than others, and sometimes we're gonna want to tear ourselves out of that freaking room. But like, I still think that there has to be something at the end of this tunnel. I, I, I just do, I, and maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just a personality thing. But I don't know. I, I felt, I don't know. I go back and forth. But I think ultimately, I do feel like. There, there, there is room and there is something, and it may be a little bit more hopeful. Yeah, well, I will、so、agree. I'm more like listening、yeah. number two than number one. Well, I will agree that if a solution is ever found, it will have to involve dialogue and getting to know people, not just arguments. Well, there's there's one more、um, t- very short clip that I want to play. This was. By far my favorite one because I was actually thinking after the episode, after we got a deluge of of、um, responses and comments, nobody commented on the song that was played at the end of the episode, and、mm-hmm. maybe people、mm-hmm. didn't even notice it. But the song、yeah. was is called "Neighborhood Bully" by Bob Dylan.、Mm-hmm. And finally, I got a voice memo、um, that made my day. Here, here's the memo. Just wanted to say the most insightful. Comments of the whole podcast were definitely from Nobel laureate Shabtai Zissel. So Shabtai Zissel, of course, is the Hebrew name of Bob Dylan and Nobel, Yiddish, Yiddish, well, Yiddish, yes,、um, Jewish name and Nobel laureate. He won the Nobel Prize in Literature a few years ago. I'm not sure if the Nobel Academy was aware of this song because if they were, maybe they wouldn't have given the prize because the song is basically an unapologetic defense of Israel. And instead of using the word Israel, he calls Israel the neighborhood bully. And it's like honestly, kind of what Amr was saying: Israel is bad. Israel just wants to start wars. They're cruel, and they're surrounded by all these pacifists who just want peace. They just want to get along, and it's all Israel's fault. But obviously, the song is a defense of Israel, and it points out the absurdity of that type of argument. And yes, of course, that's a gross oversimplification. And Amr would probably call the song racist, but I think it's awesome. And it came out in 1983. 
And even though Dylan is basically just going through the quote-unquote talking points, the Zionist talking points, he does it in a way that only Dylan can. And the song is just like dripping with sarcasm and what I would call sticking it to the man. So even though he's just going through talking points, it's biting, it's sharp, I think it's also a little bit funny. And it's also just nice to know that we have Bob Dylan on our team. So thank you very much to that great friend of the show for submitting that voice memo and appreciating that song. Artists always speak the truth, Ari. <laughs> All right, well, that's obviously all that we were able to get into, and even that only touched the surface. If you haven't yet listened, but you just listened to this feedback episode, first of all, weird choice, but okay. But second of all, go back, listen. We still want more feedback because honestly, as we say over and over, that is why we do this, right? We're not doing this for for the fame, even though, of course, that's come along with it. The reason we do this is because we want to be able to talk about real issues to everyone. And I think this episode even more, we've had a lot of amazing episodes. We've had a lot of episodes that have really been meaningful to people, that have touched people, that people have reached out, like random, it is amazing. It is so, so cool. This episode, way more than others. And it's really, really gratifying and really, really meaningful. So thank you and please keep it coming. Talking Talkless Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, join the conversation on our Facebook page, Talking Talkless Podcast. Thanks as always to Drive-In Productions. They're the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They're the official band of Talking Talkless. Bye, everyone. Zagazoom.